am I supposed to say? Uh, <laughs> Welcome back. These breaks. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to Crimes from the East. No, that is horrible. Welcome back to Crimes from the East. I'm your host, Pia, and with me is Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello. How's it been? Cold and gray, but otherwise, great. Between you traveling and me just being sick every other week from preschool germs, it's getting really hard to get together to record. Yeah, man. I thought, oh, we're going to come back from summer and we'll be ready, but actually... Now it's winter! <laughs> now we're just going to be sick the whole time. I feel when coming. I feel, I've been eating clementines all day. I'm going to do some ginger shots later. Golden milk? No, no, no. Not golden milk. Haldi dude. That's the real name, yeah. okay? I'll, what's the, I hate this stupid appropriation. It's not golden milk. Sunrise latte. Kill that. Scratch that. It's haldi dude, okay? You go to a Starbucks and you ask for haldi dude. <laughs> they better know what that is. Pia, you know what people are going to be saying, though? They're going to be asking for healthy dudes. Healthy dudes are fine, too. Ask for them. I mean, I see nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I'd love to go order up a healthy, healthy dude. <laughs> <laughs> One healthy dude, please. <laughs> One healthy dude, please. So that way, no matter what the interpreter does, you're going to like what you get. Yeah. <laughs> you either get a turmeric shot or you get a really cool buffed up dude. Amazing. So I was like, maybe we should talk about what we did, but I really didn't do much. We just did a little trip to Portland to check it out. It's all right. Portland, Maine or Portland, Oregon? Okay. I mean Portland, Maine, not not Oregon, up in the north. The northern ones. It's an okay city. I think it's a little dull. <laughs> Isn't it old? As in like full of old people? It is very old. Uh, no, actually I saw quite a few young people, but there just wasn't that much to do there. Hmm. I think there were tons of restaurants and that seems to be the only thing you do in Portland. You You fish... There's tons of lobster fishing that goes on there. That's their number two industry. Naturally. So I guess you either fish for lobsters or you eat at restaurants. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> I really know nothing about Portland, Maine. I barely know anything about Portland, Oregon. So Same here. I'm just, you know, talking bullshit. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. In case you didn't catch on that. It sounds kind of nice to me. Restaurants? Fishing? Sounds like a life. So that's all that's all we've done in <laughs> the past three weeks. Um, I was in Dublin. I saw last podcast yes. perform there. It was very fun. Um, and I met a dude there who made out with a famous-ish Bollywood actress. So that was a um, mm -hmm. fun fact for me. Oh, who's this actress? Her name is L L Lisa... Hayden? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's pretty. Do you know her? She's good. Yeah, I know her. I mean, I don't know her, like Mariah says, but I know of her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her. Um, But yeah, Dublin was kind of the same, I feel like. It was just, it was a lot of these like really small looking on the outside, but big on the inside places. I guess cold, wet places mm. got to be like that. You have to have nice indoor <laughs> options. Lots of nice pubs. Exactly. So what did they do? Like uh, like Portland's got lobster fishing. What does uh, Dublin got? I guess what do they do? Guinness and fish and chips. They make Guinness and then they go to restaurants. Yep. 
and then drink the Guinness. Yep, exactly. Pretty much. Got it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we don't have much in uh, in the ways of small talk for today. So maybe we should just jump into the story yeah. that we're going to cover. Oh, it is freaking, I mean, just writing the second part would just brought a dark cloud over my head oh, no. for a couple of days. This story is, I don't know what it is. I think it just exudes a ton of like negative energy. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with it. Let's just record it and be done with it. I don't ever want to hear about this story yeah. again. I- I'm done. Okay. All right. So with that said, let's jump into the Burari Banyan Tree Ritual Part 2. We're going to discuss the family's last days. We're going to do theories and speculations on what might have happened. And we're going to talk about a few similar cases to kind of see where it stands. Is it truly that unique? And as always, I just want to mention a big trigger warning. There are There is mention of suicide in this episode and descriptions of the scene, which can be really hard to listen to for some listeners. So discretion is advised. And with that said, let's get into it let's get into it for a little bit of a recap so far we've seen the pain and tragedy which while not unusual seem to have had an unusually severe impact on the Bhatia family and remember the Bhatia family is actually the Chundavat family but they adopted the name Bhatia in their past so I'm going to refer to them as the Bhatia family mm-hmm. Lalit, who was the youngest son of the Bhatia family, has taken over the family as the new leader and after miraculously predicting the exact time of his lost voice returning by the family's dedicated praying, he has positioned himself as the spiritual and authoritative leader of the family. Mm -hmm. Lalit has been suffering from auditory and possibly visual hallucinations for almost a decade after his accident and the attack on his life. He never got therapy for it. He never saw any psychologists. He didn't take any medication. So it it was kind of um, festering and getting worse. And people were ignoring it because mental health is still highly stigmatized in South Asia and even, I'd say, all of Asia. Mm -hmm. Getting help is seen as a sign of weakness. And so they just brushed it off and he he didn't get any help for any of his trauma. So what has Lalit being hallucinating about? He claims to be possessed by the spirit of his late father, Bhopal Singh Chundavat. And he has used this possession premise to control the entire family of himself, eight adults and two minor children. His sermons, while possessed, were written down by Priyanka and Minu, into diaries which were found in the home. And that's mostly the source of information that the police and the media have had about what was going on inside the home because no one else knew about this. So the diaries are basically the key to this enigma. Mm -hmm. So the first mention of Bhopal Singh, or the deceased patriarch of the family, in Lalit's diaries is made on September 7, 2007 wherein the notes ask the family to keep his picture in front of them and remember him. The note reads, Man mein dhyan yehi rakho ki daddy meri purani adate chhut jai, which translates to, keep this thought in your mind and ask daddy or Bhopal Singh, pray to him that you get rid of your old habits. 
Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what are these old habits that they want to get rid of and they need the help of the deceased patriarch to get rid of these habits. it's, It's not making sense to me. It's not like they were gambling or drinking or, you know, committing crimes all over town and they were a disreputed family or something. So this is odd to me. I don't know. What do you think, Alex? <laughs> it's certainly not going to be the little things that everyone has that like bugs you about someone. It's certainly not going to be uh, the the pet peeves of our dear new patriarch Lalith. Bye. It's very Lalith-centric. All the diaries are very Lalith-centric and they align with what he likes and what he thinks is right and his sensibilities, really. Yeah. Although they're supposedly from Bhopal Singh, but they seem to be aligned all around Lalit. <laughs> that said, in all seriousness, I'm guessing like in his delusion, he might see very arbitrary behaviors or, you know, things happening around him or his family interacting in a certain way with a very paranoid eye. So maybe maybe he sees the way they're opening and closing doors as somehow ominous or rude or yeah i mean there are certain personality types or i don't i don't know what i don't want to call them mental illness but there are certain personality types where people will be slighted by the smallest of things which most other people can brush off and not really think about Mm -hmm. but some people obsess over it and they start to hold a grudge and they'll just fester in it for months even 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 though the other person has no idea Mm -hmm. That they've caused so much distress to this person. We're not diagnosing anyone or even Lalit at this point. But it seems like that. Because the things written in the diary don't really match up with what everyone's describing the family as. They were the perfect family. They weren't people with a lot of like... Vices. Vices, yeah. yeah. Sure. So what are these old habits? Maybe something Lalit was doing. <laughs> he wants to get rid of I don't know. Um, so anyway, one of the neighbors, Mrs. Sharma, said that Lalit and Bhavnesh's children used to call her for kirtans or prayers, which started soon after Bhopal Singh's death. Every night around 9 p.m., they would all sit together and pray for 30 minutes. And the kids used to tell the neighbor, Daddy ke ane ka time ho gaya hai, which means it's time for grandfather to come. Hmm. Oh, my God. They're telling that to neighbors? Yes. And what were the neighbors like? Okay. (laughs) That's totally normal. I think because the kids were saying it, they probably didn't take it seriously. That's ridiculous. When kids say creepy things, that's when I take it the most seriously. That's when you run. Yeah. (laughs) You run. If a kid says something creepy, you're like, get the hell away from me. If Luchi came up to me and she was like, hi, Pishi, it's time for you to go now. I'd be like, oh, my God, what are you going to do to me, child? (laughs) Oh, here, you want to hear something she said to me? Oh, no. Uh, This was like, I don't know, six months ago, six or eight months ago. She was barely even past two. At bedtime, she would look at me and just in a very concerned voice be like, mommy, you're not a ghost. And I'm like, <laughs> no shit. No shit, I'm not oh a ghost. What do you mean? Pia. What the hell do you mean? Pia, what if you're a ghost? <laughs> Damn. I was a ghost this whole time. I was dead this whole time. Oh, no. I hate those movies. 
I hate those movies where you're at the end and you're like, oh god, they were dead the whole time. So I guess I'm dead. I've been dead yeah. this whole time. Yep. I hate my movie. I hate my movie. Listeners, what a treat! I wonder if this is the first ghost podcast. Maybe I'm dead too. <laughs> Maybe all of our listeners are dead. Maybe it's just a big ghost, and Lucia is just the chosen one. <laughs> she sees dead people <laughs> everywhere. Well, there's a Halloween plug for the show, because I think probably we have to be serious now. Yes, yes, we have to be very serious because we're not ghosts, she told us. So (laughs) the family changed up their lifestyle when the whole daddy saga began in 2007. I I don't like that daddy saga. I know, I don't like saying it, but in India, most kids will call their father either daddy or or papa which i don't know where it came from because it's a french word (laughs) i don't think we had french occupation in india the english though oh papa papa Papa. i hate it i hate it i hate hearing it (laughs) my husband's family uses the word papa and i'm like ew don't say it it's like needles in my ears yeah so this daddy saga began in 2007 and the family changed up their lifestyle what they did of course they stopped eating and cooking meat they stopped drinking alcohol at home even though daddy or bhopal singh himself was never vegetarian he ate meat he cooked meat and he even brought whiskey for his sons and his friends damn but (laughs) but Lalit, on the other hand, had always been a teetotaler. He never touched alcohol. Oh, man. So now all of a sudden, daddy, you know, daddy is a good boy. Daddy doesn't want meat and alcohol, so they can't do it, which is just bullshit in my mind. If you're trying to channel Bhopal Singh, you would align with what Bhopal Singh liked. Should be a party. Come on. But no. Someone's a party pooper. The number of shops that the family own slowly went from just one to three. Lalit had a plywood shop, Bhavnesh had a grocery shop, and they were setting up a third one together. So the house that they lived in gained an additional floor. And so in the eyes of the family, they were flourishing and thriving as a result Mm. of their fanaticism and dedication to this whole... Daddy. Daddy. (laughs) Saga. (laughs) This whole ordeal. Sorry. This whole focusing and praying for the goodwill of the family or for others is not a novel concept. And that's what we discussed in part one. There's nothing really wrong about what they're doing. They're just praying, right? It's, they're doing something positive. So that's why they never felt as if they were doing something weird or off or wrong. Even though the whole part about being possessed and all that is strange. But the result of it was they were just praying. Mm -hmm. She was fine. Mm -hmm. Thoughtfulness, mindful meditation, prayers, and setting intentions have long been believed to cause actual change in our physical material world. There's an interesting book called The Power of Eight. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. It's by a journalist called Linda Taggart. It outlines a series of studies conducted by Linda to experiment with this concept that when a group focuses and meditates on an intention... It can actually help to manifest that intention in the material world. This is all very trendy right now, even. Like, people are all about intention journals and, like, 
willing things to happen. I'm all for it. I mean, it can't hurt, right? Until it does, I guess. As long as you're not like targeting someone or something. As long as there's no daddy. <laughs> for negative intentions. Yeah. No daddy stuff. No. No daddy. <sighs> Have you heard of Michio Kaku? He's a well-renowned uh, scientist. I think he's an astrophysicist. I could be wrong. I see him in all the UFO documentaries. He's in all of them. Okay. He also did this experiment um, on molecules of water where they focused positive words and thoughts towards bottles of water and then they focused hate and negative intention towards some other bottles of water and the crystals that were formed when the water was frozen was different what? it was beautiful and symmetric in the positive water and completely asymmetric i don't want to say ugly but not not chill cool looking yeah bad in vibes the negative water <laughs> literally bad vibes bad vibes wow you imagine that though just a bunch of scientists in a room screaming at water bottles you stupid bottle of water you're terrible you taste like garbage i am not even quenched by you you taste like garbage you couldn't quench a fly i prefer mountain dew to you (laughs) water take that (laughs) that's the worst insult i think for water Setting intentions, praying or meditating towards that goal. Nothing new, nothing novel, nothing wrong. But it slowly led to the family being desensitized to what they were doing. They were conditioned to follow, conditioned to not think for themselves. That's kind of like what cults do, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Like remove your individuality. I've ceased to think of this as a family. I'm just fully like in the mindset and mode of a cult anyways all this intention stuff i just wanted to share this esoteric tidbit for anyone that likes to tickle their brain with such curiosities and lalit was indulging his curiosity in the paranormal online and through various tv shows about past lives reincarnation ghosts and whatnot Uh oh now he only spoke about his hallucinations and his beliefs in the paranormal to one friend one time and when that friend rejected the idea kind of mocked him and laughed at him Lalit never mentioned it outside the home again I guess he realized that people are not open to these ideas Mm -hmm. and he was being rejected like his delusions were being rejected so he just didn't mention it to anyone outside the home ever again refresh my memory for a second before all of his accidents and traumas he was sort of a likable guy and then after everything he became kind of a drip Yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) His friends remembered him as a very funny guy, you know, happy, social, always talking till 2 a.m. in the morning. But they did say he was a very straightforward fellow. Like he never did anything that was illegal or wrong or immoral. He was like a straight arrow pretty much. So he was always, at least always, a bit of a goody two-shoes to the extreme. But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him. It's just that when he got injured when he had his head injury and his trauma whatever it kind of morphed or mutated into something ugly so the family didn't own any bikes or cars the two teenagers weren't given any laptops or mobile phones which is very unusual in 2018 Mm -hmm. 
Lalit had even asked all the neighbors to not give the boys access to phones because they've seen their friends have phones and look at videos and TikTok and whatnot. They didn't have access to this. Yeah. And so they were constantly asking people for their phones. Not surprising. And Lalit, of course, went around talking to everyone and like scolding them, like, don't give the boys phones. And this was written in the diaries that the family is going astray. The boys are always asking about phones. We need to do something about it, which is such a stupid thing. <laughs> why is why is Bhopal Singh concerned about this? I don't think he is, but I'm sure Lalit is. Yeah. The family kind of grew insular with each passing day. And Lalit in the guise of Bhopal Singh was calling the shots and designing their lives like an architect of doom. So all of this went on. On July 1st, the family of 11 was found hanging from the ceiling, asphyxiated, bound, blindfolded, and eerily calm, as if they had just let it happen to them, putting up no struggle at all. Mm -hmm. Except for Bhuvnesh, the elder brother. Mm. There were signs that he had actually struggled and tried to claw at the scarf tied around his neck. One of his hands was partially free from the binding and a finger was stuck between the scarf and his throat. This was not a peaceful death for anyone. There would have been an involuntary fight-or-flight response by the body to try and survive for every last breath. But the way in which they were bound just left them completely helpless. One thing I did learn a lot about in Dublin was hanging, because the white devils did a number on Ireland, so it wasn't just brown people, which is... Just fun to remember that they were terrorizing their own race, if you can even call it that, at some point, too. And there was even, there was, like, Mm -hmm. hanging technology. There were different hanging techniques. Um, There was the slow hang, which was a sort of form of torture before you got quartered and drawn. And then there was the hang, which was supposed to be more humane because it killed you instantaneously. And then there was something in the middle hang where you... You did die, but it wasn't quick or guaranteed or easy. It's a it's a pretty brutal way to die. Yeah. This is like the worst parts of humanity. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we're out of the Middle Ages. And although we haven't really improved as a species, at least we're not publicly that cruel anymore. We have better technology for our cruelty, I guess. That's horrible. Let's talk about the last days of the family. What were they up to? Now, even though we know hindsight is 2020, let's rewind a couple weeks before the deaths and go over the family's activities to see if there was any clue or any signs of the impending danger. The most significant event just weeks before the death was 33-year-old Priyanka's engagement party on June 17th. So it's not even two full weeks. It was, I believe, 11 days before the deaths. Once again. Sad. Once again. The number 11. Oh, right. <gasps> this was no ordinary ring ceremony. It wasn't just two pe- two families coming together, putting the rings on and saying, bam, we're engaged. No, no, no. This was a well-planned party in which Lalit spent 3 lakh rupees or $3,600. This is no small amount by mm. any means in India or even in the US for that matter. They hired a caterer, lights and decorations, a DJ, 
and even a choreographer who taught the youngsters steps to perform in front of the guests. And you can see videos of this party on YouTube. As the kids all twirl and sway to the beats of Bollywood music, their nervous smiles seem even more sad to see now, knowing that they met an untimely fate. Mm. I'm, I, I tried watching those videos and looking at their faces and trying to walk in their shoes and see, is there any clue? Is there anything we can decipher from their expressions right. about what was going on? But you really can't. I know people say that you can like see a lot in people's eyes, but I think that's not always true. Some people are very good at hiding like le- levels behind their eyes. Especially something that's been going on for so long and they're so numb to it. Right. And there's nothing incendiary about it, right? It's very mundane. Mm-hmm. It's very mundane. True. Does this engagement party seem like something a family planning to end their lives would do? If you know you're not going <laughs> to be spending any more money, you might be having a bit of a big summer blowout. But no, not really. That's it. Was this one last hurrah? Maybe they weren't aware of it. Yeah. But maybe someone was. Someone knew. Someone who spent that three lakh rupees. Right. Now this, as we have seen, was a very tight-knit, sensible family. They didn't even own bikes or cars, so they weren't spending money Mm -hmm. where it wasn't needed. Spending three lakhs on an engagement party when weddings cost even more, it doesn't make sense to me. Weddings would cost them like, 50 lakhs minimum Mm -hmm. where they live in Delhi. So it doesn't make sense that Lalit agreed to pay 3 lakh rupees to have this grand fiesta Mm -hmm. just for an engagement. Mm -hmm. Which is why I'm putting emphasis on this whole thing. Because I think he knew what he was going to orchestrate in the coming 11 days. And he wanted this to be like one last hurrah for the family. Mm -hmm. They just weren't aware of it. They just didn't know. Priyanka had worked at her office for nearly six years, but no one in her office even knew that she was getting engaged. After the party, Priyanka had asked her neighbors not to post any pictures of her on Facebook or tag her at all, as she hadn't announced the engagement to everyone. Why? It could be innocent. Perhaps she was apprehensive about her fiancé being the one, wedding jitters, whatever. Could be. But it also leaves room for thought. Maybe she felt... A shifting dynamics. She felt something change in Lalit. She wasn't sure about the future or what was going to happen. Maybe it was one of Daddy's commandments. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah, I don't know if the diaries say anything about that. Now, what was Lalit up to a week before the deaths? Well, he was definitely not in his elements. He was unwell, as per many neighbors and acquaintances. He didn't sit at his plywood store the entire week before the death. So just after the engagement party, he barely stepped out of the home at all. He was just home the whole time and was sleeping through the day and night, barely being seen awake for a few minutes by neighbors. So something was brewing. Was that that was not normal for him? No, that was not normal for him. And he wasn't sick or something? We don't know. So they didn't call any doctor. No one mentioned anything about an actual sickness. They just kept telling people that he wasn't feeling well and he's taking sleeping pills and he's just sleeping the day off or whatever. Yeah. 
Now, when the youngsters were practicing the dance moves for the party, a neighbor saw them and encouraged them, clapped, and she was like, oh, you're doing great. Keep practicing, blah, blah, blah. She saw Lalit walk into the terrace and she waved and she asked him how the prep for the engagement was going. Instead of responding to her or even looking at her, Lalit simply turned his back and went right back inside the home. Oh. He was clearly distressed, upset, or just not up for any social interaction that week. Weird. This is very rude, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is very rude in Indian society to not respond to someone or talk to someone. At least you would say, you know, we're doing great and just go in. You don't have to have a long conversation, but just turning your back on someone like that, someone that you've lived next to for decades. I'm having issues with um, my, like, neighbor right now. She's just being super crazy, but even I can't ignore her if, like, we pass in the, you know, hallway. I think universally it's a weird thing to do to just, like, ignore someone. Yeah. And someone you know well. Right. Just turning her back? Nope. That's a red flag. That's why the neighbors were concerned because they saw these odd behaviors. He didn't come out. When they did see him, he seemed completely off. He wasn't responding. He looked sullen and like he was sulking. So they noticed these things. Mm -hmm. Something was brewing in Lalit's troubled mind. Was the inevitable departure of his main scribe, Priyanka, affecting him? Was the reality of the family unit breaking apart after Priyanka's wedding too much for Lalit to bear? Was he afraid that she would tell her soon-to-be husband, all about the Bhatia family's dark secret. Hmm. Another unusual thing the week before was that the boys Shivam and Dhruv were missing from evening sports in the community for the entire week prior to the deaths. Now, the 15-year-old would usually study for two hours after school every evening and then head out to play cricket with the other kids in the neighborhood. But that entire last week of June... They were missing from the cricket ground. Super sus. Now, one of Priyanka's cousins on her father's side reported that they spoke to her the night before the deaths. <gasps> and she was excited to go shopping for her wedding. And that's what she was speaking to them about on the phone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Was this Priyanka discussing what she saw in her future? Or were these lies to cover up a morbid pact? Right? It's easy to make fake small talk. I don't know. I still kind of have the impression that like Lilith is drawing everyone in and isolating everyone, but they still somehow don't know like, okay, they know that something's happening. Maybe they know that something like big spiritually is about to happen, but they don't know what the like ultimate consequence is going to be. I don't think they realize the reality of the situation. Yeah. So the night before the deaths occurred is important. The police scoured all the CCTV footage from Satnagar and pieced together a tragic timeline. The cops were quite taken aback when they didn't see any mysterious stranger or suspicious activities around the home. Here's what they saw. At 10 p.m., Bhuvnesh's wife Savita and her daughter Neetu came out, went away somewhere, and they came back carrying five newly purchased stools into the home. Now, these were the same stools that the family had shared and used to aid them <gasps> in hanging. Oh, my God. 
At 10.15 p.m., the two young boys, Shivam and Dhruv, can be seen opening up the plywood shop and retrieving the wires which were used in the binding. Oh, yeah, I saw that. There, There is, like, CCTV of that street, right? And they just see, like, them gathering materials for their own demise. It's crazy. At 10.45 p.m., a local restaurant delivery boy delivered a package which consisted of 20 rotis to the family home. Hmm. Just rotis, nothing else. Okay. Is that, that's weird, right? So, I mean, sometimes you make the curry and you don't want to sit and roll out 20 rotis. So you may just order it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That, that would be my approach. <laughs> At 10.57 p.m., Bhuvnesh, the elder Bhatia son, is seen taking the family dog Tommy out for a walk. <gasps> Tommy! He returns back... At 11.04. And nobody enters or leaves the home till next morning when the neighbor discovered the body. I feel like their bodies were discovered really soon, actually. No? It's because it's a close-knit community, right? Neighbors know each other and they keep tabs on each other. They, you know, look out for each other. Plus these, the the Bhatia family owns shops. Right. Grocery shops open every morning at 5 to dispense milk and newspapers. At 5 a.m.? So when it didn't open, usual customers are all waiting. It's it's affecting their day. So they're concerned. Like the neighbor who went and checked in on them, he walked in at 7.15. Oh, okay. So it was only like two hours. He was like, I really want my milk. Where are these people? Yeah, come on. India is a, you know, cow-loving country. They got to have their milk. I'd be kind of annoyed if I were alive. <laughs> Dark. Other people seeing it may not have put two and two together at all. You know, families carrying stools and wires and there's rotis, but nothing odd. Well, I don't know what the rotis are for. We'll find out. All right. It's actually, it's not as random as you think. Okay. Now, we know what all of this is for because it is written in the diary. Ah. Each and every single instruction on how the Bhatia family must perform the banyan tree ritual is written in the diary. Spoken by Lalit. Yeah and written by Priyanka. The instructions start a week before, though. It's not as if he wrote, they wrote it and performed it just the night before. No. This whole ritual was taking place for a week. Ooh. Does this mean that Lalit was directing them to do mock trials for the days preceding this? Each time, maybe he added a new step till they were accustomed to being bound and gagged and following his word without fear or questions? Oh, that's even creepier. This is just my speculation. I just I just wanted to put that out there. We don't know about this. Okay. I'm just speculating. Why did they have to do it for a week? I mean, that, that would be an explanation, right? Yes, because so far they hadn't done anything this extreme that we know of. The diaries don't mention them doing anything like this before this event. Okay, okay. They were just praying and controlling their normal daily life activities there's nothing in the diary that says you gotta stand on stools and hang yourself by the neck it's an escalation you either escalate slowly and risk people not being happy and leaving or you keep it really light 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 and then you make a big ask in terms of like the next step and you don't even give people a chance to really question it hmm Because they've been going along, everything's been super kind of mundane and normal. And then suddenly it's like, okay, we're doing this big ritual, no questions, no time, we're just doing it. 
So I read in some um, news articles, I don't know the accuracy of these articles, but I'm just going to mention it, that the diaries talk about the world ending and some, you know, apocalyptic situation happening. Humanity is ruined and blah, 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 blah. Kaliug is upon us. Mm -hmm. We need salvation. So all of that usual cult bullshit is kind of woven into this daddy saga. (laughs) I love it. Daddy apocalypse. Oh my god. I I guess maybe he was slowly conditioning them to believe all of this apocalypse bullshit and then using maybe Priyanka's engagement or wedding as the carrot dangling in front of him that if we do all of this, she'll get married. Uh, they had problems finding a suitable match for her. She was 33 years old, which is a little bit on the older side in North India for a woman to get married. Yeah, that's real old news. That's a grandma. I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> but somehow they did agree to do all of this, right? Because it happened. It happened. Mm-hmm. They died. Mm-hmm. We're just speculating on what may have happened that made them comfortable enough to do it, to try it. Mm. And that's why I think maybe that whole week that they were supposed to do this ritual Maybe every single day he added one step. First, maybe he said, everyone just close your eyes and stand in a circle. The second day, everyone tie your hands and close your eyes and stand in a circle. The third day, blindfold yourselves and tie your hands and stand in a circle. The fourth day, stuff your ears with cotton. So Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Again, I feel like that gives a lot of room for people to start to smell the the danger in the air. Bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So. Let's talk about what the diary said about this banyan tree ritual or bard tapasya as it, that was, as it is called in Hindi. The diary says that everyone in the family will be fed rotis by the grandmother Narayani Devi and that the rotis must be ordered at 10 p.m. Not handmade, ordered <laughs> from the best restaurant. Then they were to lay Narayani Devi in the next room and help her with the ritual because she was too old to stand on a stool. And that's why she was found asphyxiated in the next room. Pratibha, who was Lalit's elder sister, was to be hanged slightly to the side of the family circle because she was a widow. Oh, shade. Discrimination even in, in this kind of cult bullshit. And this is exactly how Pratibha was found. She was hanging off of a door frame. Right. The rest of the family was hanging in a circle. She was slightly to the right off of a door frame. The diary said to shun any fear and doubt and bring the mind to a zero state of nothingness. And in this neutral state, they must faithfully chant the mantras given to them and pray for salvation which would be bestowed upon them by the spirit of Bhopal Singh. Hmm. The diary said that Bhopal Singh would come and save them. He would come and open their blindfolds. And then there was even a specific order in which the family would help untie each other's bindings okay. after the ritual. Now, this is a classic trick of misdirection, in my opinion. Oh, we're going to hang ourselves from me, you know, make us that blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, Papal Singh will come and he'll open your blindfold and then we'll untie each other. As if that whole hanging bit isn't important. It's a setup for something great. What kind of delusion 
is he having? Is his delusion to kill his whole family because that's pretty delusional and crazy? Or is his delusion that actually the ritual will work and this is what's actually going to happen? There's no winning, I think. It's a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Both are wrong choices. I mean, both are bad. Both are like the ideas of a delusional sick person. (laughs) But what it does show is that Lalit had planned the future with them as if they would still be alive after the horrific act. This is what he's making them believe. Yeah. Right. It's not, we're going to hang and that's the end of it all. No, there are steps after that. Yeah. The diary said, keep a cup of water outside the door. When the water changes color, I, Bhopal Singh, will appear and save you. So Bhopal Singh was going to materialize in this earthly realm after their ritual? Mm -hmm. Or perhaps... They were going to join him in his heavenly realm. Where water is pink. Wording is everything. So he's not lying. If you, if you think about it, technically, he's saying that we will all be together. It's just the, the details. Which side are you on? Which side of the veil are we going to be rejoined, reunited? Yeah, that's creepy. That's, that's nice and creepy. The details are left in the shadows. Lalit masterfully made things cryptic and yet very succinct. However, to the brainwashed family members, it was simply another mundane task to carry out. I guess they were tired of his bullshit. They're like, just do it. Just, you know, get it over with. We don't know. Just do what he says. Or they were really caught up in the fantasy of it. The magic, right? Possible. Possible. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. Police believe evidence indicates the deaths were accidental. The family did not want nor expect to die. They just made a fatal mistake. This is what the cops say. The police found that all the members of the family had used their phones normally the night before. They had charged their phones and then put them into a bag which they kept next to the shrine. So they used these evidences to prove that they didn't expect to die, right? Like, why would you charge your phone? Yeah. If they were following the book, if they were going to die, maybe they would have shown it some way. You know, they knew that they were going to die. They found chana or chickpeas soaked in a bowl in the kitchen. This was in preparation of cooking them the next day. And that was used as evidence in their case to prove that the family expected to live and live another day to cook another meal using those chick- chickpeas. Some chole. And that's about all we have regarding the activities of the family the night before the horrific discovery of the bodies the next day. Theories. Was this murder, suicide, or accident? And we've kind of gone over all of these aspects so far. Now is the time to speculate heavily, Alex. And I know a lot of people don't enjoy that, but come on, if we don't speculate, if we don't discuss it, what's even left? Like, (laughs) if you want to know about this story, you can just go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia and just read it. This family performed some weird ritual and they all died. That's it. That's the end of the story. Speculation is where you can kind of thresh the details out and just try to guess what may have happened because we truly, really still don't know. So, I mean, I don't want to call it fun. Right. But it's intriguing. So let's put our, what what hat? Speculation <laughs> hats on. Speculation hat. But I don't know what sound that was. <laughs> Did Bhuvnesh, Savita, Pratiba, Priyanka, Neetu, Meenu, Shivam, Dhruv, and Naraini Devi 
sign up for this? Did they want to die? Was this actually a case of mass suicide? Well, the Delhi police almost think so. Almost. Well, initially, the crime branch had filed a case of murder to be investigated. So a case of homicide involving foul play. That's what their initial angle was because the family was outraged. The surviving family, which, which consists of one brother and one sister who didn't live with them, basically. God, how do you... Oh, no, I don't even want to follow that train of thought. Like, imagining your sibling doing something like this. They were very firm that this was not a cult and this was not superstition and stuff and that they insisted someone had murdered the entire family, which is why the cops went that homicide angle. But after the crime branch did their investigation for nearly three years, they closed the case and their closure report cites this as a case of accidental death. So it's neither suicide nor murder. Now, what do you think, Alex? I think they're not even really dead. No. <laughs> the ultimate conspiracy. Um, you know what? This story, like, it took me a long time to realize it, but I'm wondering if this isn't somehow like a case of a family annihilator. Yes. I think, like, if you look at other cases of family annihilators, you'll see a lot of similar controlling behaviors and a lot of similar just events mm -hmm. i was just reading about the lawson family murders this was a farmer family from the 1900s or something like mm -hmm. that right in in the u.s uh so they were a farmer family 1900s in pennsylvania uh consisting of like eight kids and charles lawson took his family out like a week before the event happened and took them shopping for new clothes, which at this time and in their socioeconomic position was quite unusual. But people sort of explained it because Christmas was coming. It was like that time of year that maybe they had a good crop or maybe there was a like reasonable explanation. I don't think so. Isn't this like the Depression era? Right. These are farmers. Their crops are not guaranteed. I don't think farmers spend like that. Yeah, so... So they bought new clothes. It just was really unusual, and that's why people thought that it was premeditated. But on Christmas Day, actually, wow, this is so dark, he went and shot his daughters, and then he came and killed his wife and the rest of the kids, shot everyone, and he laid their bodies out in this very, like creepy way in a line with their arms crossed with their heads being supported by rocks and then he went ahead and shot himself wow but the whole thing of buying presents and almost you know making it seem like something good was gonna happen in the future it really reminded me of the engagement party yeah yeah in this case it, you know, this sort of idea that maybe sort of psyching them out or, you know, making them think all along the way that, although in this situation, like, there's no ritual. He just straight up shot, them. shot each and every one of his family members. And there is also a parallel in that he had some serious injuries, including a head injury. Uh oh um, Red flag, red flag, red flag. Certain trauma, maybe depression, and just... 
All the things. These head injuries, damn. Helmets at all times. Yeah. So I'm really like thinking of the Barari case as an instance of one guy who's feeling inadequate or insufficient or, you know, in turmoil or unsatisfied. He's not happy. And for whatever reason, he has to take his whole family down with him. Kind of like, um, what's that other fellow? John List? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who killed his entire family? Yeah. The difference being he didn't off himself. He just ran away and he lived a double life, a second life in some other part of the country till a neighbor identified him. Right. That guy was such a jerk because I, if I remember that story correctly, John List felt that he was a failure. He was bankrupt. But for some reason, his failure, he transferred it onto his family and he sort of convinced himself that killing them was saving them from the bad reputation of his failures. And then that way he, I mean, he had to go on and restart because he was a man or some bullshit. I feel like that is pure evil because he didn't off himself. In all these other cases where the men seem to first attack their families and then kill themselves i'm not saying that's better don't kill anyone that's the best thing it 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 kind of speaks to the mental illness angle of it all totally yeah i agree Mm -hmm. their mind was not in the right place and they could have possibly been saved if they just sought medication therapy some kind of help some kind of mental assistance because Like Marcus from last podcast says, mental illness Mm -hmm. is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. You have to manage it. Amen. In this case, although the doctors strongly suggested that he get help, he just didn't. His family just didn't. They didn't insist. He didn't insist. And that's unfortunate. There's just still plenty of people who believe that, which is really sad. Personally, I don't agree with the verdict or conclusion of the crime branch. I don't think it was accidental. And if it was, in fact, not a suicide pact. So I don't think it was a suicide pact, which means at least two people are guilty. Lalit and Tina. Because Tina was the one found without the extra bindings on top of her limbs, which means she was the last person. She tied everybody else. (gasps) That's, yeah... There was no one to tie her, so she was the only one who didn't have the extra bindings. Maybe she was, maybe he believed his delusion. Maybe she's the family annihilator. That, that's the twist. It's that she just wanted everyone to die. Yeah, no one's really talking about Tina as much. The the only talk about her as a supportive wife, a supportive role in this whole thing. She did everything exactly as Lalit said. She was the scribe too, right? No. No, the scribe was Priyanka, the niece. Priyanka, yeah. the yeah. one who was getting engaged. But I wonder what Tina's role was in the whole scribing process. Like, was she standing over Lala's shoulder encouraging him? Was mm. she was sort of like the one orchestrating this whole process? Well, we've got our speculation hats. So we can say whatever we want. It's not true. We're just... Yeah, and I, I do think it's interesting that people aren't talking about her as much. Yeah, because she is guilty of at least some of it. Because she tied everyone up. She put the tapes on their mouths and everything, right? So as a normal adult, you would know this is dangerous. 
you would know there is a right. chance of killing people when you do these things. And you're culpable if you did it. Doesn't matter what you thought, you're culpable, right? Ooh, that really thickens the plot for me, kind of. So Lalit and Tina bound everyone. And they possibly even saw people die. I, I don't know. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know if they were all mm. perched on the stools till the last minute and took the leap all at once. Maybe they did it that way. There's really no way to know that. So all 11 members thought that they were going to remain alive and breathing even after they had very carefully performed all these steps to defeat that purpose. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. No. If you go by their actions, which we discussed, the stuff they did for days or weeks before, it seems like mm -hmm. they were hopeful of the future. They had plans for the future. They didn't mm -hmm. seem to be ready or accepting death at this point in their lives. But they still did this one act that took their lives. I wonder, because I know nothing about forensic science or like biology, really. <laughs> but I wonder if there's a way to tell if a body was at a heightened level of stress or adrenaline or fear. Mm. I mean... If they really believed that they were going to be totally fine, it would be interesting to know, like, how they were feeling. Oh, that's so dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listeners, my brain really goes there. So I think when you're stressed or in that kind of fight or flight mode, a chemical is produced in your body called cortisol. Mm -hmm. I don't think it remains in your body. I think it's broken down. So, yeah, I would say can't tell you probably can't tell of course i don't know i'm not a doctor i'm not a chemist all we know is that there was no signs of struggle except for one one Bhuvnesh, person yeah Bhuvnesh, Bhuvnesh, who was yeah. trying to unwind the scarf basically yeah you think about this and you're like who could be that naive right who could do this if they didn't want to die why did they agree to this unfortunately the answer is that many many people are just that naive we have seen this time and time again. Manipulative, True. exploitative, or just plain batshit crazy cults have managed to brainwash <laughs> perfectly normal functioning people into doing things that they would have never considered on their own. So this is not unique in that sense. Um, just take, for instance, the Jonestown incident in 1978, where 900 oh people died after... They drank the cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. Wait, it wasn't Kool-Aid, right? It was Flavor-Aid. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> As ordered by the cult leader Jim Jones. Mothers and fathers fed their crying babies the poison and willfully killed their whole families. Well, a lot of them were also killed at gunpoint. So I'm sure a lot of them didn't want to do it. They just didn't have a choice. It was enough people on board, though, to make sure that 900 people died that day. The Heaven's Gate cult, led by Marshall Applewhite, saw 39 members of their cult dead by apparent mass suicide. What did they do? Was it applesauce or something? Something really lame. <laughs> I think so. But they had very fresh fits. Yeah, they had black Nikes and purple jumpsuits, right? suits or jumpsuits or something and they were just laying there peacefully just you'd think they were sleeping again deceptively peaceful scene they did this because they believed they would be reborn in a better realm you know based off of the Halibop 
comet or some bullshit like that. It was a ufology-related cult. It's crazy. But they did this. And they were adults, too. The I think the other sad thing, and they weren't like, you know, I mean, maybe they were a family, not a blood family, but it wasn't like mother and the children, you know. So while these two examples are not quite exactly the same as the Burari case, right? These two are legit cults. The Burari case, while a family, kind of operated a little bit like a cult. Yeah, totally. Which is why I mentioned these two. But I have one case from Bangladesh that is eerily similar to the Burari one. Ooh. I first read about this in a Reddit post by a Reddit user called Moondog151. Sweet name. I like a Moondog. Yeah, this person posts a lot of cases from developing nations, so not the usual UK, US, Australia. They do cases from Africa, India, and other parts of Asia. Right on. So in this case, on July 11, 2007, Nine members of the Anwar family calmly walked along the train tracks and sat down right in the path of a fast-moving train. They were completely obliterated because the train was unable to stop in time. The family consisted of 60-year-old Hina Anwar, her two sons and four daughters, all in their 20s and 30s. And the worst part is that in the deceased were two of Hina's grandchildren, eight-year-old Mola Anwar and nine-year-old Mao Anwar. They took two kids with them. Just like in the Burari case. Why did they do this? Well, listen to this. The Anwar family patriarch, Anwar Hussein, he retired from the army, the Bangladeshi army, and was a wandering philosopher of sorts. He had many Sufi... Uh-oh. Sufi-like beliefs and often argued with people about their Islamic beliefs, which is the majority religion in Bangladesh. Now, Anwar was mocked and even beaten by people for his blasphemous views. And as a rebellion, he converted to Christianity, just declared himself converted, basically, which completely ostracized him and his family in their community. They kind of got isolated. Anwar would preach about Adam and Eve to his family and meditate for hours with them to achieve salvation. He died in 2002 of a cardiac arrest, so natural causes. But then the eldest son, Arif, was murdered in 2005. So this left a very traumatic void in the family. The two Mm. heads of the family, the two male heads of the family, were gone. And so the members of the Anwar family began to meditate intensely and started to believe that they were communicating with the deceased Anwar and Arif, who were now giving them instructions on how to lead their lives. They were given steps to salvation, which were written down by them in diaries. Yep, diaries here as well. Ooh, wow. So a lot of similarities if you think about it. Totally. I'm just like off the bat already. My my red flag was waving alarm bells for the family trauma, losing an important member of the family. And then and then in the case of the this, it's Bangladeshi mm-hmm. family. Yes, Bangladeshi. Yeah. Losing 
another member of the family with the Burari case. It's the 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 brother having this like ter- terrible assault and injuries and it's just sort of putting these people in a vulnerable situation where they are more vulnerable to suggestion. Yeah. Plus they were isolated too, right? No one's talking to them right. and they're not really having, you know, a great social interaction with anyone. The only thing is, in this case, they walked onto the track. So several people, there were lots of witnesses to this whole thing. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. <gasps> so what I'm trying to say is, it appears to be that this formula is not so unique after all. People have done this before. All you need is a tempest of mental illness, isolation, desperation, a yearning for change, and an inability to rationale it all. That leads to yeah. situations that make no sense to us, but made sense to them in that moment. That's heavy. I could be wrong. I admit this. I'm just speculating, but I could be wrong when I believe that it was murder. I think it was murder. It was not accidental. Lalith masterminded the murder of his entire family. And the reason okay. was possibly psychosis spiraling out of hand and triggered by the incoming tear in the family tree. Because Priyanka was going to leave. Mm-hmm. She's been the one writing down everything for the past 11 years. Mm. She seems to be close to him. <gasps> oh, good point. I didn't even think of that. Oh, shit. And I, f- I feel like he thought a very important part of their family is now going to go away. Possibly tell all their secrets to another family and invite ridicule, humiliation, and rejection by society because he may be afraid that their secret will be out. But why kill everyone? They could have just done the ritual on her. It's really that family annihilator thing. Jeez, it's crazy. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, insanity in a court of law would mean a state in which the defendant has no idea of right and wrong in their actions. I don't think Lalit qualifies as insane. I think he seems to be very sane. And he planned every minute detail of it. So he knew very well what he was doing and what the consequences of his ritual would be. Basically, Lalit's twisted grand delusions destroyed this family who went along with it with smiles plastered on their faces. The perfect imperfect family. That's our Burari case. Oof. Wait, wait, Pia, we didn't talk about 11. Oh, no. Yeah, okay, okay. We'll fit this in in the middle. (laughs) So since we're talking about theories, let's talk about The number 11. The number 11 seems to keep popping up in this whole case. There were 11 members. The incident took place 11 days after the engagement. There were 11 bars in their windows. 11 bricks, you know, in front of their home. Yeah. What's up with 11? There were 11 pipes that were jutting out of their home's wall on the west side. And people were really confused about these 11 pipes because they had no purpose, really. They didn't connect to plumbing or electricity or any kind of 
con- air conditioning system or whatever. They were just random pipes that were jutting out of the wall. And people started coming up with these crazy rumors that they were supposed to be vents for the 11 spirits of the family. Oh, oh, that's romantic. I was thinking something much more sinister. I don't know what, but for me, the, the 11 pipes sticking out the wall for no reason, that's very H.H. Holmes. It's super just like sinister and creepy. But for the spirits to, you know, like zoom away, that's, I mean, it's is it cute? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it kind of beats the purpose. The whole point of being a spirit would be that you're immaterial. You can go anywhere you want. <laughs> Doors don't matter anymore. Yeah. You don't need a dirty pipe to get out of. That's almost insulting. So did we ever get an explanation for the pipes at least? Okay, everything else could be a wild coincidence. But like, what the heck is the deal with the pipes? So you'll see this in the documentary. They actually found the guy who put in the pipes. Uh, He was just a local contractor. And he said they put it in because there needed ventilation in their room. And he said, they didn't tell me to put 11 pipes. I had 11 pipes, so I just put them. That's what he says. (laughs) Okay. Someone needs to, like, find that guy and arrest him and ask (laughs) some harder questions because I'm not buying it. Here's the creepy part. That guy actually lives in the home now. What? Yes, he lives in the home. The contractor lives in the home. Dude, what? Mm -hmm. No one wants to live there anymore because they consider it haunted and whatnot. So this guy lived there for, I think, almost two years. And the family let him because they just wanted it to be occupied. So this guy who put in the weird 11 pipes lived in the home. I mean, he wasn't scared of any spirits or whatever. Clearly, he's not a superstitious person would you live in that home no i would not i absolutely would not i would absolutely not although that said i'm living in like a four or five hundred year old home right now and all the time i'm just thinking about like who died here why is the energy so crazy in here (laughs) who died here how did they die i don't believe in ghosts or spirits but i do believe in residual energy of sorts in the sense They say, right, matter is never destroyed. It just changes form. So maybe it turns into some kind of vibe (laughs) like we were talking earlier. Right. So this is a really dark vibe. Just researching this case. Totally. Put a dark cloud over my head. I would not stay in that home. Nope. Okay. My last question that I Mm -hmm. swear I'm done, I think. Yeah. Why'd they put Tommy on the roof? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. At least they spared him. At least they didn't hang Tommy. Oh, my God. Imagine if Ugh. there was a hanging dog oh, in the... Oh, no. Oh, that would have been just even worse. That's just next level cruelty. But, like, they could have let him go on the street. Oh, no. You know what it was? I think maybe they thought that if he was on the roof and he saw them, he would be, like, chill. But if they, like left him in the house, maybe he would mess with the... Oh, that could be a another piece of evidence. They knew that if they were dead, the dog would mess with the bodies. Yeah, or, maybe he'd pull at them I or something. Know, bark, yeah. alert people, like, make noise. But on the roof, I'm sure he was making noise. He was barking. Poor Tommy. He was upset. I mean, the fact that he died within a month of cardiac arrest speaks volumes 
I know I'm shitty that the dog thing like bugs me almost more than the the rest of the story. So everyone can just save their judgment because I know. But um, yeah, I feel real bad for Tommy. I don't get why they had to do him like that. He didn't choose this horrific trauma to, to be part of. Step up on the stool, yeah. So yeah, that was it for the Burari family deaths. Let us know what you think about this. What are your speculations? I want to hear. There's a lot of uh, room for discussion on this on this case. Email us at crimesfromtheeast at gmail.com. And for Bollywood Corner today, I didn't really have much to work with because, I mean, who wants to make a movie like this? At least in Bollywood, they don't do it much. Um, the closest thing I could find was a movie called 13B. This is actually a horror thriller movie about a family that moves into an apartment 13B on the 13th floor, which is considered kind of unlucky, really. Weird things start to happen. The women in the family start getting obsessed with this TV show, this soap opera that's playing on the TV. And everything that happens in their real lives is reflected back in the TV show. So whatever happens to them in the current day, the next day they see it in the TV show. It's kind of creepy and... Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, w- I really want to watch it. There is a mystery in it and, you know, how the main patriarch of the family is kind of distressed and panicked and he wants to save his family from being annihilated by whatever this weird force is and he's on the hunt to solve the mystery, basically, about what's going on in the home. So the good part is he's trying to save his family. <laughs> so it's a total opposite of what happened in our case. I like that. Uh, that that works for me. It's like a palate cleanser from this. So listen to this podcast and then watch that movie as the palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, let's undo the haunting of the Burari case from our minds. <laughs> watch this movie. It will scare you, but... People should definitely watch the Netflix series. I watched it even. I, it was a while ago, so I don't remember all the details when we were talking about it now, but it was pretty good. Pretty good. I'm sure most people who listen to true crime, consume true crime podcasts and stuff, they have already seen it because it was really popular when it came out. But if you haven't, and I mean, I've mentioned it at least 20 times in these last two episodes, (laughs) but go watch House of Secrets on Netflix, excellently made documentary where they interview friends and family and the police, the guys who worked on the case, all about the evidence they found, the family history, what the neighbors observed. 10 years ago, five months ago, the week before, the night before. So it it paints a very clear picture of circumstance, although we still don't know the reasoning. (laughs) House of Secrets. And uh, that's it for Bollywood Corner, short and sweet. Ding-a-ding-a-ding-ding. Yeah. Check us out. Give us a rating. What are all the things you're supposed to do? Uh, Give us a rating. Give us a review. Um... Tell us how much you like us. Tell us how much you don't like us. Follow us on the Instagrams. Visit our website. Become a Patreon. I think we might be brewing up some cool additional stuff for our Patreon people. Beloved Patreon yeah, people. Yeah, Alex is going to work on some merch stuff and we'll give you more details when we have it. Why don't you tell us things you want to see on merch? Because sometimes we forget, like we have a funny moment and we're like, we should put this on a t-shirt. 
and then we forget. So if you remember anything, <laughs> tell us. Pia, you need to start a log of whenever Luchi like quotes. <laughs> My daughter? Yeah, we need the, the catchphrases that she likes. The creepy stuff my daughter says, yeah. <laughs> She's the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, I, I think I shared it with you, but we got a couple of really nice messages through email. One of them, let me just mention them because why not, you know? Shout outs. Yeah, let's give out some shout outs. To the fans. Thanks. It actually is really like nice. I It's such a strange and new feeling to have people write nice things or even mean things <laughs> or anything <laughs> anything at all yeah. <laughs> makes 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 us feel heard <laughs> have you looked at our um like demographic stats recently not demographic but our distribution like what countries are listening to us a lot uh yes so we have our consistent um countries like india is now on top well, most of our listeners are from India. U.S. is nice. second. There's Australia, U.K., uh, Finland, apparently, and Sweden. Wow. Canada, of course. We still consistently show up in the Macau true crime list. So whoever was listening to us <laughs> after the hacking episode <laughs> is still that. listening. Hello, Macau listeners. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Singapore is also up, nice. up on the list. There's UAE. South Africa, Malaysia, Qatar, Philippines, what? Germany, Who New is Zealand. listening to us in Qatar? Do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Norway, Kuwait. Um, Ooh. Do, 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 do. Yeah, these are the countries that are in our top list. Oh my God, we're international. Yeah, we got a really nice message from a listener called Gokul. He says he's hooked on the show and we are so good at this. He wants us to continue. And he says that he has a crush on Alex's voice. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> Actually, I think he and I are friends on Instagram now. Sup, Goku? Um, he says Pia is amazing with how you carry yourself and bring out the charm in everyone and I make everyone feel at home. Aw, thank you. Thank you so Aww. much. Yeah. You're the brains and the bronze of this operation. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, okay, wait. And we got a really nice message. Well, first we got a little constructive criticism from someone called Trishala. She says that we deviate from the story. And I asked her, what do you mean? Do you mean the details of the case are not right? And she's like... Uh, I just meant to say that you have longer intros before the case start starts. And I was like, yes, that's our style. That's what we do. <laughs> um, but they were actually really nice because she said she loves our podcast. She likes listening to us and she shared it with her friends. And I'm like, perfect. You you can have constructive criticism. That's fine. Here for it. The fact that you still love listening to us and you shared it with your friends. We love that. So thank you so much, Trishala. Thank you. And so, yeah, those are some nice messages we got from our listeners. And if you want to reach out to us, check us out on Instagram, Crimes from the East. Alex has her own Instagram page called Other Alex B. No, go to Zandra Beans. 
Oh, okay. So she made another one <laughs> called Xandra Beans. Other Alex B is my personal. There's just food on it. It's not very um, informative, but Sandra Sandra Beans with an X at the beginning. Is that your art account? It's gonna be. All right. So go follow Alex on Sandra Beans, which will be her artistic digital art account. Um, and other Alex B, if you want to check out the cool stuff she cooked. Yeah. And talking of cooking, I just wanted to give a shout out to this book. They reached out to me. It's a book called cool. Food and Crime, Confessions of a Prison Cook. Nice. <laughs> <gasps> I want to read this. It's very interesting because they talk about all kinds of crime around food. And they have a few sections in there about crimes in India, like the fake basmati rice that someone was manufacturing and selling and um, where they were painting red chili peppers in India because it's something that grows there Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. when they don't have the right color, maybe you don't get the highest price. So they were coloring it with poisonous, toxic red dye oh my God. to sell it. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. Um, they were also dyeing saffron with toxic dye so they could get a higher price. Lots of interesting tidbits like that in that book. Go check out foodandcrime.com. Food and crime. That sounds like the perfect job for me somehow. Yeah, combine your two interests. Food and crime. Make food <laughs> and do crime. <laughs> Got a career. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's pretty much all we had for today. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. This this one was really heavy. I want to go a little lighter, but who knows what we end up doing. <laughs> There's no plan. There's no plan. I do what I feel like. That's the whole point of being in a podcast. As you must. Yeah. As you must. I think that's great. And you're doing a very, very good job. We'll see you in hopefully a couple of weeks in another episode of Crimes from the East. Your Desi True Crime Podcast with a little masala, masala. and spice. spice. Namaste. Namaste. Helmet.